Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2021. I've already had to write that. I had to keep crossing out. It's 21. It's not 20. You know, I think, I think one of the funniest things that I think I've read was that, you know, every year pastors always start off their new year with this new vision, right? This new message and, and some type of slogan. I think a lot of people have taken 2020 and saying, let's look with clear vision and see what God has ahead for us. If only they would have known, right? I, I think it took all of our, our plans. What's that verse that says man makes plans, but God laughs? Uh, that was definitely the case as one calendar event and one, of, uh, one thing after another just fell under the COVID-19. Uh, we still don't know what 2021 holds for us, but we know where our help is. I want to share, ch- challenge you this morning to run Christian Run. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, we're going to be looking at our scriptures. And I want to just say real quickly as we go on, I want this to make this the year of the Bible. We're going to do some things uh, concerning the Bible, starting with the, uh, the, um, the reading through the New Testament together. Study in Luke, obviously, is we're going to continue through that. There's also a few other things that we're going to be doing through the year on the Bible. What I want to encourage you this year is to bring a physical copy of God's Word uh, with you on Sunday. I know many of you, you, you know, you can use your phone and you can use your tablet. And I'm not going to say that that's wrong. That, that's not at all. But I would encourage you to bring a Bible, a physical copy, along with a writing instrument and, 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 and bring a, a, get a little journal, a little notebook. Uh, we, we have little message sheets back there that you can kind of keep. But I want you to just encourage you to write in your Bible, take notes. And, 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 and this is just a great way. Now, I know many of you can probably do that with your tablet. And so that, that's wonderful and great as well. But there's something about holding a copy of God's word in your hands. And we're going to be going through some scriptures today and turn through it. But I want to talk about run, Christian, run. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. But before we get there, I want to tell you about a story that on August 7th of 1954, during the British Empire and Commonwealth Games in Vancouver, B.C., England's Roger Bannister and Australian John Landy met for the first time in the one-mile race at a newly constructed Empire Stadium. Both men had broken what's called the four-minute barrier, the four-minute mile barrier Previously that year, Bannister was the first to break the mark on May 6th, while John Landy did it just a little bit less, a little bit more than a month later on June 21st. And this is an achievement. Now, I'm a guy, I'm still like at a 26 mile, if I'm very serious walking. And I've never run, I think, a mile, maybe once or twice. But running a mile, breaking it in four minutes, that was an achievement. The world watched eagerly as both men approached the starting blocks. And you can imagine the thrill of the crowd. They, they get down there. What will these two men, will they be able to break the four minute facing each other? These are the only two men that have ever broken it in a competition. As 35,000 enthusiastic fans looked on, no one knew who would take place or what would take place on that historic day. Promoted as the mile of the century, it would be later known as the miracle mile. You'll see a picture of the two men there. With only 90 yards to go in one of the world's most memorable races, John Landy, as you can see here there on, the, on, the, on, the, on my right, I think it should be on your right as well, he glanced over his left shoulder to check his opponent's position. 
At that instant, Bannister streaked by him to victory in a record time of three hour, or three minutes and 58 seconds, 8.8 seconds. Landy's second place finished at three minutes and 59.6 seconds. It marked the first time that the four-minute mile had been broken by two men in the same race, but only one man won the race. What a race it was. They reached a time never before reached by anyone else. They had broken their previous time, but only one came away with the first place trophy. John Landy lost the race due to his lack of self-control in his running by taking his focus away from the finish line and putting it where he could not run as quick as he has been. He lost because of lack of self-control, a lack of focus on what he should be focusing truly on. The Apostle Paul wrote something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's here on the screen. Where he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may uh, obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable reef, but we imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air. I'm not a shadow boxer. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be, what? Disqualified. Now, in this context, Paul is speaking or writing about self-control as far as a Christian, living the life that God has called us to do. In his case, his desire is to win as many people as possible to Christ, to plant churches across, uh, in that type, Europe and Asia, to encourage Christians to grow in maturity in Christ. And he recognizes that many times the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as an apostle, he doesn't want any sinful desire or passion to keep him from accomplishing the purposes of God that he has given him. He wants to live self-control and stay focused on the prize. Like David, he wants to serve God in his generation. So he uses the metaphor of a race to illustrate the need for Christians to live self-controlled, focused life. A life that is focused on glorifying God and fulfilling our role as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is what God has called us to do. Run, Christian, run. We are to run the race. Now, there's another illustration of someone who looked back and lost the race. It's found in Genesis, Genesis chapter 19, if you want to turn to it real quick. You may recall the story of Lot and his wife. Though her name is not written in the book, she's just known as Lot's wife. She's become infamous for her lack of self-control and focus by turning back. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 15, many of you know the story coming up to it. Uh, Lot, had, who was Abraham's nephew, had moved into Sodom. 
And God had sent a couple angels there to get Lot and his family and get him out because he says, I'm going to destroy them with fire and brimstone. And, and you and I know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is, is very famous. We know that it happened. He, he burned that city to the ground and it was a very sinful city. But in verse 15, as we follow the story, as morning dawned, the dawn as the, as, the, as the morning comes up, the angels urge Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And, and so what's the, what's the finish line? What, what, its focus is get out of town. Destruction is coming. Verse 16, but he lingered. So the men, the angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And then, now there's some, oh boy, I, I shouldn't have read that. You see, God again takes the initiative. They linger, he grabs them by the hand. If you're here today and you do not know Lord, quit lingering. I pray that he'll grab and snatch your hand and grab you and bring you to him. That should be your prayer. Be merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him or brought them out, one of the angels said in verse 17, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Two things. Don't look back. Don't stop in the valley. Lest you be escaped to the hills, lest you be swept away. And the Lord said, no, I, I can't go to there. Don't let me find your favor, so on and so forth. And eventually they said to him, they gave him his favor. In verse 22, escape there quickly for I can do nothing until you arrive there. We go on to verse 24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord. But what do we see here? And I lost the verse where I had it. We see that his wife turned and became a pillar of salt. Why? Because she looked back. In verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked, Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And I think the story reflects many of us in our Christian life. We're saved from destruction God has given us that escape route. He grabs us by the hand while we're lingering in our sin and our, our passions for ourselves. And he, and he saves us from that. But yet we still find ourselves looking back at what we think we lost or think we're missing from our old lives or maybe from what the world offers. Many times we become distracted from the race, the escape to the mountains. Where shall my help, help come from? He's, it says from the Lord. We're looking back and we find ourselves running in circles. As we closed out 2020 and we begin the 2021 year, it's good for us to be reminded that God has called us to follow him, to pursue him, to run after him. Jesus warned that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And my encouragement and warning is do not be the one who looks back, but run. Now I want to give you three encouragements in running. We're Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be there in a couple other verses in Philippians. 
It's here on the screen, Hebrews chapter 12, our, just our opening verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now he had just given a great hero hall of faith fame type of thing in which he had listed all these people who had run the race. He says, because of them, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand throne of the Lord. I want to take a moment now and just look at that passage of Scripture. Father, give us wisdom. Father, we want to be Christians who are running the race that's set before us. We don't want to look back. We, we, we struggle with desiring the things that we are to put aside. So encourage us this morning. It's time for us to do some heavy lifting in our own hearts and minds. Father, I pray that you would expose any weakness, any sin, any lingering doubts, any lingering desires for the things of the world. Father, that we may be sufficient and useful in the ministry as Paul was that we not be disqualified, that we not be left behind. Father, that we be used of you. Strengthen us in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to give you three encouragements in running, three encouragements from running as we look at Hebrews 12. Number one is you and I need to look to the faithful who came before us. We need to look to the faithful who came before us. We were reminded that we walk in the steps who have gone before us. As a negative example, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, Moses, this is Paul speaking about Moses and, and, and those uh, children of the wilderness. He says they were all under a cloud and they all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And they drank the same spiritual drink. They, did, they ate the same spiritual food. That they, that nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the witness. Now, oh, the wilderness. Now, I'm going to take a lot of time with this because we looked at this as we studied Exodus. I'll bring you back to that study if you haven't seen it. But he says these things, them being uh, disqualified, them being uh, overthrown in the wilderness, many who died, they took place as examples. He says for you and I that we may not desire evil as they did and not be as idolaters as some of the words. And when the people sat down to eat and they rose up to play. And he goes on to say, he goes to give a warning. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the story. Now these things again happened as an example for you and I. They were written down for our instructions on whom the end of the ages has come. We must look to the faithful who came before us, one as a negative and then also as a positive. For in Hebrews 11, we read through of several positive examples of men and women that we should look to. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, marching around the mighty walls of Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuels, Samuel, 
And the prophets, it says, who conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and received back their dead by resurrection. We are talking about some mighty men and women of faith. The Bible says you must look. They are the cloud of witnesses. The race is something that you and I can do. Now these stories and scriptures are just more, are more than just fairy tales or myths that teach moral lessons. They're filled with real people, with real problems, and in real places in real time. And many of those names that I gave you were very awful people at times. Murderers, adulterers, those who disobeyed God, those who were cowards, but who stood and eventually faced it. They are meant to be an example for us, both negative and positive. Paul encouraged Christians to imitate me as I imitate God. There's our focus. There's our finish line. Look to those who were faithful and find encouragement to continue. Commit to reading, and this is what I want to encourage you to do. Commit to reading biographies of faithful men and women who served God in their generation. We try to make these available. If you would like some, I, I have plenty that I would like to share with you. Find inspiration and strength in God's faithfulness in supplying their needs. Even today, we have men and women that are standing strong in the face of adversity, focused on running the race set before him. Even in America, we have those. But I would have to say that many of our heroes of faith, you and I find when we get to heaven, are going to be people of different ethnic backgrounds than us. North Koreans, Chinese, Iranians, others from the Middle East. You and I need to look to faithful men and women. I think there's an encouragement. I love reading Christian biographies. I love reading biographies of any sort. But I encourage you, take that up. Take scripture. Read about the men and women of the Old Testament. Embrace them. We are, you know, this is sad. We live in a world of cancel culture. And we talked about that several weeks is, is we're never as bad as our worst moment, right? But, but that's what we do. We find someone's worst moment and we amplify that and then we cancel them out of their culture. This is a, and by that case, we should not read the books of Moses. Sing the Psalms of David. Read the wisdom of Solomon. In that reflect, should we read Peter? Should we read Paul? In this case, we should cancel the scripture altogether. I'm not advocating that, by the way. But what you and I find is, yes, the scripture is written by flawed men. The flawed men who ran the race. You and I need to find inspiration from that. For we are flawed men and women but God still calls us to run the race. So not only should we look to the faithful who came before us, but we need to lose excess weight. I know, here we go, lose excess weight. This is a time of year when everyone is making resolutions, right? Most of them having to do with losing excess weight, mainly pounds of the flesh. All the fitness clubs are offering discounts and incentives to get you in and to work off that weight that we put on during the holiday seasons. 
Though during the COVID season, that might be less than what it normally would be. But take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, would you? It's in the New Testament. Little book. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. Paul is speaking of a different weight, though, of losing weight. He's talking about the weight of sin, shame, and guilt. The kind of weight that slows you down, that keeps you looking back over your shoulder, or even paralyzes you into non-action. Sins that you are still fighting or God forbidding harboring as a secret friend to you. It's a companion that you go to when times are difficult. Could be your pride. A pride in what you are or who you are or what you have accomplished. Maybe it's even struggling with self-righteousness or self-works. Maybe it's in, a, in some other type of sin that you would not want anyone else to know. In any case, we need to lose that weight. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 4. Paul writes, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Paul is about to, is about to do some bragging here. People have been accusing him and been lining him. So he's about to say, well, you know what? I have some things to be confident about. For anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Jews, they were proud people. They were the chosen people of God. He says, if anyone has anything to brag about out of confidence, I'm the man. I've got it going. I'm Bannister. I'm running. Look what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had from those things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, not just his genetic, ethnic uh, person who he is, but I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I would underline count as loss and then underline circle that phrase. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In other words, everything that I have, my intellect, my ability, my ethnicity, I'd rather count that, I'd, I'm willing to give that away if I can know Christ more. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, in righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want heaven so much, I want Christ so much, that I'm willing to give up all things. Let me ask you, what are you willing to give up today for Christ? Your career? Retirement? Your aspirations? Your dreams? That pet sin that you've got hidden? 
Maybe your spouse doesn't even know about it. That resentment, that pride, that anger that you're holding in. That sin that has you dragging wind. You wonder, why do I not see power in my life? Why do I not see maturity in my life? Why am I not as good as Christian as I would like to be? Because you're like that football player that's running with a parachute behind you, trying to increase speed, but all you're doing is just dragging wind. You need to lose the weight. To Paul, Christ was everything. What is everything to you? Everything else is dead weight. It will be lost. You may be waiting for that stimulus check. That's lost in heaven. Think of a boat that's sinking. Maybe it has a hole in it. Maybe there's some type of rupture. Maybe there's just too many people starting to go under. What's the first thing you're going to do? As you're bailing out the boat, you're just going to get rid of those things that are dragging you deeper. The things that have weight. And you and I, many of us, we're like we're sinking in a boat. And we're bailing water, but yet we're not getting rid of the excess weight in our lives. What do you need? What are you holding on to? What do you need to shed? Maybe it's time for you to forgive. To confess. To repent. But not hold on, do not hold on to it. For your race is too important for you to drag it behind. Number three is lock our eyes on the prize. This is let us run our race with endurance. And endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Too many times we consider salvation as a get out of hell free card. It's, it's life insurance. Once we got it, then we're okay and now I can continue on with my life. We think of salvation as a one-time deal. It's one decision in a lifetime of decisions. And as long as I ask Jesus into my heart, at least at one moment, doesn't matter how old, doesn't matter how committed, how knowledgeable I was about what I was saying, we believe that's it. We go on living our lives, though, as before, not realizing that we're called to something more than just a decision. Salvation is a life-changing moment. Let me say that again. Salvation is a life-changing moment. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that there, there's, you have to have one of those incidents like Paul on the road to Damascus. There not, may not have been a light in the road. You, you may not have heard the, God, the voice of Jesus like the form of thunder. You, you may not have become blinded. You may not even have had an emotional moment. But it is a life-changing moment. We're changed. We're transferred from one domain to the other. The Holy Spirit breathed life into our once dead souls. We were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. We became children of God and brothers of Christ. Yet so many of us forget about our calling, <clears throat> our gifting, and our purposes, and we continue living our lives without considering our real identity in Christ. 
We forget about the race that we were called to. Again, continuing in Philippians, if you're still there, Philippians chapter 3. Once he says, I want Christ, I want, I want, I'll lose everything. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. <clears throat> because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. But here's one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. <laughs> that phrase in itself could have changed John Landry's life and position in history. If he would have just forgot what laid behind him and just continued to focus on the finish line. And I believe there are many Christians today that are in the same boat. Paul goes on in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also. Let, let that be your prayer. Same prayer as David. See if there's any wicked way in me. Is there anything that's holding me back? Is there anything else that I desire more than you? Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And there's many of you that are holding on to salvation, but yet, like Lot's wife, you're looking back at Sodom, at what you lost. We need to run the race. The old gospel song captures this truth. I don't know if you've ever heard it. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You think this world is it. And I understand. I'm the same way. Now that I'm a grandpa, everything circles around here. But yet this is not our home. There is a new heaven and a new earth where we will live permanently. This is temporary. Now that's hard to understand at our age, right? It's, this is all we know. This is all we can expect. But there's something much greater than that. We need to recognize that. We need to remember that. Paul tells us to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We need to run the race. And we do this by looking to Jesus. Brandon led us in that song, it is finished. Quit working for your salvation. The race that we're running is not to earn our salvation, but running the race to become more like Christ. That, that glorification. He is both the founder, speaking of Jesus, of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. The one who finishes it for us. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer tells us that it was fitting for whom and by whom all things exist, exist speaking of Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Actually, that was the father now speaking of the son. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, being made more like Christ, being set apart, have all one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them 
brothers. What's that source? Jesus. Jesus is God, the creator of all things. But he has also founded our salvation and made us perfect through his obedience and suffering. But he also founded our salvation and made us perfect. We must never think that our salvation or sanctification comes by our own power or will. So we need to keep our eyes on the prize. To that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, waiting for you and I. That time when Christ will come back for his children. So here's three encouragements. Look to the faithful who came before us. Lose the excess weight. And keep your eyes, look your eyes or lock your eyes on the prize. Not behind on the side, but on the things of Christ. Now I want to tell you three things, three facts about this race. Here's three things you need to know about this race. Number one, the race is long. It's not a mile. It's much longer. It's a lifetime. Not going to be finished until Christ comes or takes you home. You and I do not know how long we have on the earth. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor of water in a large universe, a drop of water in an ocean, a whisper in the windstorm. Yet David sings that our years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. The race is long during those 70, 80s years of life. Take your Bible and turn to Romans 8. Though you and I are delivered from the penalty and power of sin and salvation, we realize that we run against the wind of the presence of sin in our life. Let me say it again. We are delivered from the power and the penalty of sin, but yet we run against the wind of the presence of sin. It's a long race made longer in the fact that the presence of sin continually blows against us, wanting us to avert our eyes from the focus. It wants us to turn back or to cover our eyes or to take a different route to avoid it. We yearn for that day when God redeems us bodily from that sin. Amen? That's my desire. The Apostle Paul encourages us to adopt his way of thinking in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now, and now this is great for 2020, right? For COVID, for everything else that's coming on, the loss of liberties, the loss of many things that you and I think of as normal life. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, speaking of the earth, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The, the, the corruption that came because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Speaking of, of the Christians, of those who are the children of God. We groan inwardly 
as we await eagerly for the adoptions of son, the redemption of our bodies. And, and I would ask you, do you groan for that? The, the sin, uh, is sin something that, that you despise? Is it something that, that you're repelled against or is it something that you've embraced? Is it something that you flirt with? Is it something that you go to for companionship, for comfort? It says here, we groan inwardly as we eagerly, wait eagerly for the adoptions, redemption. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. What's that hope? The deliverance from the presence of sin. The hope that is seen is not hope. For who, hopes, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. The race is long. Our battle against sin will be a lifetime journey. Are you tired? Is your spirit fallen? Is your race wearing you down? If you're like me, there are many times you can say yes. Maybe there are better days, better years, better months. But yes. Bathe in the promise found in Isaiah chapter 40. Where the prophet says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding (coughs) is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases his strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a wonderful promise from the Old Testament to us. The race is long, but don't give up. Keep running. Not only is the race long, but it's also difficult The writer of Hebrew warns us in chapter 11 that even though many had done miraculous things through faith in God, speaking of those men and women we've spoken of, there were many others who were tortured, refusing to accept release. They suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And you think you've had a bad year? These are men and women who ran the race, the long and difficult, but did not give up. God has not promised that he has a wonderful plan for your life that protects you from all harm and suffering. Actually, quite the opposite. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. He has not promised that all our days will be Fridays, meaning that our life is one big party weekend cruise. Rather, he has called us to count the cost, to take up our cross and follow him. The Christian life, listen to this, will consist of suffering sacrifice and surrender. Once again, so you know, the Christian life consists of suffering, sacrifice, and surrender. The race is difficult. Do not give up. Keep on running. Then thirdly, (coughs) 
The race is long. It's difficult. But it's also winnable. Amen? The race is winnable. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8. This is the last passage I'm going to have you look up. But I want you to look this up because I need you to highlight it in your Bibles. If you haven't already. Underline it. Maybe, maybe mark it with a blue pen. Probably all of Romans 8 is probably that way. But you need to get this if you get anything when we talk about the race. You need this. Your family needs this. Your friends need this. Romans 8.35. The Apostle Paul encourages the church of Rome who is facing some great persecution under Nero. And let me tell you, Nero was an awful man. He was an awful king. The things he did, just Wikipedia, he's just an awful king. But he's encouraging these Christians to continue the race because it is winnable. Yes, it's long, it's difficult, but it's winnable. No matter what you and I may face, we can never be separated from Christ. So look at verse uh, 35 of Romans 8. What a one, and there's a song. Maybe Brandon, you could put this in a song uh, to music as well. But there's a great song on this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, COVID-19, Governor Newsom? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God as it is written. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are not thought of by the world. They consider us as cannon fodder. By the way, I'm now just saying my own stuff, not scripture. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. It matters what Christ thinks of you. For I am sure, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Whatever you can dream up, no matter what the government can dream up or scientists can create in a lab, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ and Jesus our Lord. The race is long and difficult, but it's winnable. Don't give up. Keep running. I'd like to end with these final words from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Going back to our passage. After the writer of Hebrews tells us to keep running and so focus our eyes He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Who's he speaking of? Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. The innocent, the pure, the one who did good to others. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Another passage of scripture says, do not grow faint-hearted or weary in doing good. You see, Jesus is our example in joy in this long, difficult, winnable race. Jesus is our example for he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. You and I are called to do 
much similar things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, as we just close on this, I think it might be on the screen, verse 28. Come to me all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Run, Christian, run. For God will see you through. Father, we just come before you and I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would just encourage us, challenge us this morning. What is the weight that we need to lay aside? What are, what are, what are our eyes focus on? Father, have we forgotten such great salvation that you've given to us? Lord, help us to endure. Help us to run. Lord, help us to serve you in our generation. We pray this for the strength. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.